1: Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George Dimaras. This is a show where we ask you, "What's your story and what does it say about you?" I'm sitting here with Raw Winner and Melbourne Comedy Best Newcomer winner Angus Gordon. How are you doing, Angus? I'm very well, thank you, George. That's good. You've really uh, helped me calm down with my energy there. Actually, I think it I was... was very it was up. You got to be up. You're up. You offered me a coffee as I walked in, and yep. I warned you that I'd just had one. <laughs> so I'm, I'm full of beans right now. I got to be honest. But uh, thank you for being on the show, Angus. How are you doing? No problem. Um... Do you want people to reference the lockdown? You, you can, you can like, it will be it? coming out a bit later than that, but you can timestamp, yes, that the, we've just entered the second lockdown. The yes. second lockdown. But uh, given the circumstances, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, does that, was that big a bigger change from the first? Like between the first and the second, was it really much? No, not particularly. Not particularly? Just kind of chugging it's along. the same, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. Much. I was going out a little bit more.
0: Like, You'd feel more comfortable maybe going somewhere, now it's just like, oh, back to staying
1: at home. All yeah, day. back to being, yeah, sitting here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on the show, Angus. You're, a like I said at the start, you're a comedian, you've won a whole bunch of stuff. You are you were based in Brisbane?
0: Yeah, I started comedy in Brisbane, and then I've been in Melbourne for about five years now. Cool. And you've won a whole bunch of awards, you're peaking, you're hilarious. Yeah, I've won a few awards, I've been lucky. Uh, a few years ago, I, w- I don't know, peaking, <laughs> comedy is an interesting thing in which uh, I think hype, is very important, and I, uh, I don't know if I have a lot of hype around me now. I think hypes come, hum, come in, it uh, comes in waves. So you reckon like that helps you actually have a better reaction from the audience? No, no, I think that's different. I think that's form, so if, like how you're going like a form like a sports player comes up and down, but also the hype around you in terms of like their your reception within the community and the industry generally changes, and then that gives you access to more gigs, more opportunities, and it does create a narrative in which how you're received by other people changes, but in terms of your personal form, that isn't necessarily correlated with the amount of hype you have around
1: you, though it can be. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. because obviously you can feel more confident and stuff like that. Yeah, if you're doing
0: really well, then more people can start to think, yeah, you're really good, but you could also be doing really well, and people are like, you're just not the flavor of the month at the moment. All right. Yeah, but I don't think that's, anyway. No, you can (laughs) tell (laughs) <laughs> you're all bashful, like <laughs> no. Well, just talking about yourself is so boring.
1: You know what I mean? Wait, that's what, that's half of the show. I know. About. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not being a very good uh, guest. <laughs> no, you're being great. It's uh, it's, <laughs> now just now I want to kind of unpack what you mean by it, the fact that you're so nervous talking about it. Saying the hype comes and goes. So like, did you feel like you've experienced? I think I've definitely dipped. Yeah.
0: Yeah Yeah I've dipped You said you
1: peaked And I I don't want
0: to I think the thing you're supposed to say Is like I'm peaking I'm the hottest Most relevant commodity Yeah But I think I've Dipped a little bit Yeah (laughs) You think you've peaked And now it's More of a trough Yeah well maybe There'll be a little Maybe it'll go back up again But Yeah Totally I don't terms In terms of I think I've continued To improve at comedy But I don't think My standing Has Continued to rise I think it's dropped down a bit
1: (laughs) (laughs) If anything Yeah
0: it's gone down definitely.
1: So, what makes you think you've improved? Like, in-
0: um, I think the shows that are and the jokes still getting better. Yeah, you know, but then just the gigs you're getting change and the opportunities you get. Not that's that's why I think I've definitely gone down. Get, get offered less things, but uh, yeah, I'm still
1: enjoying and still feel like you personally feel like you're growing as a comedian. But- mm. Yeah, cause I've never actually thought about it because I think the same thing. Like every year, I'm like, "Oh, yeah, I've definitely improved personally, almost without any metric from anyone." I'm like, "This is much better than I was a year ago." Personally, how I feel, with mm-hmm. what I'm writing and stuff. But I never really thought about what that, what I mean by that internally. Like, what do you, what do you kind of think you mean by that? You just think the jokes are just funnier, or I think it's funnier. I think you're maybe more confident on
0: stage in terms of like uh, how quick your audience interaction. Um, if you think the jokes are becoming like the, the form of the jokes themselves becoming more intricate more layered or maybe becoming le- like less so It could be a good thing as well like you're more confident just just trying to be funny instead of trying to be clever because right, it's simplifying, simplifying it simplifying it can be good too I, I think I think I've improved I mean maybe I'm delusional in just telling myself that but I think so or just doing what you want to do I think comedy is ultimately maybe this will come back into the, the book we're going to talk about I think comedy is about character and I think to an extent, I mean, novels are about character as well. And I mean that they're about the, the author sometimes. And the comedy is, is very much the expression of a single voice and the author. I think jokes are way less important than character. I think people who are exciting, interesting comedians are the realization of themselves, the, the, the expression of themselves, in which jokes bolster that worldview. But jo- I don't think jokes... aren't. On their own uh, uh, is what gets people interested
1: in comedy. Mm. Like, yeah, as in, in terms of, like, I know exactly what you mean. In terms of, like, the, or maybe it worked once, but especially now, everyone's more interested in the person uh, presenting those jokes and that, their worldview. And, like, exactly. It's all,
0: it's, it's, it's a personality. It's a personality. If you think of any successful comedian, you can almost reduce them to a 2D stereotype. You know what I mean? You can reduce them to almost a catchphrase, like, name. Any successful comedian, and you can pretty much do it to them.
1: Yeah, I've been thinking that as well. Like, as in, uh, look wise as well as like catchphrase, the whole thing. They become yeah, a. Yeah. The cost. There's a. They wear a costume almost. They're like a cartoon
0: character. Mm. That's what comedy is. Comedy is. It's a. I think, and to a degree, art. I mean, I, I don't want to make these huge generalizations, but. It's about connection to an individual. It's about a feeling of... Like, it's a parasocial relationship. I think that explains the appeal of podcasts as well. Although, over podcasts, you can have, like, hours and hours and hours to feel like you get to know someone. Comedy gets done maybe within five minutes. It's immediate. You understand a person. You understand where they're coming from, their particular flaws and foibles. And it's that immediate expression of self, Mm. which is attractive. Jokes are... Like, people like jokes, but jokes... Now, with Twitter and the internet, everyone's doing jokes. Like, jokes have got to become... Like, increasingly co- complex or sophisticated in order to stand out from the crowd. But personality is innate. And people, man, I think there's something about the human brain in which, like, the expression of confidence is one of the most attractive things you can do. If you can be up on stage, like, s- self-actualizing, like, it's like the most, it's like, it's like watching real magic. It's more magic than a magic show. Someone on stage who's just themselves. purely themselves in
1: its purest like yeah like you said almost a character form but that's actually just them being themselves to the most extreme degree and they're not scared in front of like the group dynamic you know what i mean they're in control that's what it's where people want to be how they want to live it's funny you're saying that because like i would have thought like seeing you i've seen you for years now so you come up on the scene and one thing i've always thought about you is actually you were pretty good at that very early on of having that kind of being yourself representing your worldview on stage like is that something you thought you were as well or um
0: that's interesting that's a very nice thing to say i don't know if i have been particularly good at that i think to an extent like this very i've been deliberate i've got a certain pacing in my comedy i mean this is not particularly interesting for anyone who hasn't watched it but uh i always uh, that's what i'm striving for now particularly the last couple of years is and it it's such a nebulous goal, right? What does it mean to be yourself? What does it mean to be this character? But why, why I think that the character is important is because you're diluting the essence into distillable, almost like a pitch, like a market pitch, you know what I mean? Like an elevator pitch. Like this, It's these couple of phrases and someone's like, oh, I get that person. Distilling yourself into that form to be that reductive is scary sometimes as well because you feel like you're denying yourself the complexity of your lived experience. All right, okay. You know what I mean? Because you people be like, you're like this. That's what you're someone that. will tell you. You're that. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, well, I'm not that. I'm also, I also feel like this and I feel like this. You know what I mean? But you don't, you, I don't think like, you don't get to choose what's funny about you. You have to almost react to what people find funny about you. It's that expression of it's – an, it's an interesting group dynamic because the audience is also the other character. It's like a dialogue really. If you, Only one person speaking but they're reacting constantly to laughs. And if you're not getting the laugh, then what you're saying is wrong.
1: Uh, yeah, in terms of for for, for the uh, it's not uh, you're not achieving prese- the purpose that it's and meant to. And you're also not
0: you're not presenting yourself honestly because you're saying you're one thing and the audience says we disagree. Oh, that's an interesting way of putting that. Because you're saying basically I'm funny. You're saying I'm funny, or you're saying I'm like this. I'm this kind of person. You might be saying I'm popular or tall, and they they say you're not. You're unattractive and unlikable. <laughs> and until you accept that <laughs> they kind of fo- mean
1: audiences, are you do. But maybe. <laughs>
0: They won't say it. people are very polite. Yeah, yeah. But no, if either. you're trying to present yourself in a way, or maybe you're saying I'm unattractive and unlikable, but you're actually a very charismatic, attractive person, they'll be like, "Why are you lying? Why are you telling, telling
1: me something that conflicts with how I believe you interact in the world?" Mm. So it could be that disconnect as well, where they're like, yep. they don't believe the character that you're putting up there is the real you. Yep. Yeah, that's true. And I'm, I'm interested to hear how this because like uh, I'm to how this relates to the book as well because I've. Been, Read this book, so I'll be getting a summary from you. But let's let's go into that. Your book of choice for today. I picked yes.
0: uh, Atomized by... I'm very bad at pronouncing French names. Uh, Michel Wal- Holbeck? Holbeck? Holbeck?
1: It's got a H, but I, pr- I believe it's pronounced Wolbeck. 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 Yeah, H- yeah, I had no idea when I was... Holbeck. <laughs> Wolbeck. Wolbeck, yeah. You've got a lot of his books up on the shelf there. Yeah, I've got most of his books. Right. So yeah. you've always been a fan of him?
0: Um... I was given his this novel, Atomized, when I was eighteen by m- my girlfriend, who I, st- I still live with now. So, I guess it's been about nearly, yeah, like nine years. I've been reading his novels and th- had a fairly powerful effect.
1: On wow, me. yeah. So, I guess do you want to give you a summary sort of what the book is? Uh, it doesn't be too much detail, but yeah. yeah Michelle little... Ho- Michelle is a very controversial
0: figure. Um, he's been probably rightly accused of sexism and racism. Um, Is a misanthrope, I think. The book is a, the novel, a lot of his books, uh, you could say in the angry middle aged man genre, um, often have the Bukowski the, sort of thing. Yeah, but with a lot more, I think, despair than Bukowski. So Holbeck often has like some sort of authorial stand in. Uh, Adam about two brothers who are disenfranchised by the neglect of their parents um, who are sort of products of the sexual revolution. Um, they're loners, they're unable to really experience love It's about how the decay of the body And the decay of traditional values Has created an atomized society In which um, the body becomes the only source of pleasure But as it ultimately decays It robs us of dignity uh, and, in, and in the end um, One of the brothers who is sort of Perhaps like an asexual uh, molecular biologist uh, Works out a way of creating the human race Sort of without the need for sex Asexual reproduction which creates immortal beings through like um, a thermodynamic process, which creates like a, a strong, a strong cell. Right. So people actually live forever. So it creates like a post-human race, and and the, the book is written from the perspective of like looking back on humans as these flawed sexual beings. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the angle it actually takes to frame the whole book. Uh, yeah, the, you realize at the end, like in the epilogue, mm. that it's it's written by some sort of post-human. Our sort of post human um, descendants.
1: So it's kind of done in a. So they're judging it harshly, the race of
0: us? Uh, it's not. You know. I mean, yeah, there, it's, there's a sadness to it. It's a, in which I think the one of the final lines, something about how humans are a species that were able to eventually overcome themselves and realize the possibility of their own demise and wish themselves into extinction,
1: you know. Real cheery stuff for this time. Yeah, of he's an <laughs> incredibly <laughs> yeah. bleak,
0: bleak writer, but it, it's a. Like we said about character, he's this ins- incredible um, force of personality that you find on the page. He writes in these sort of aphoristic phrases. It's very funny. It has that uh, that cruelty, which good comedy can have. Yeah. It's very sad as well. He's not uh, able to – like the book doesn't avoid things like
1: melodrama and things like that. It's sort of just –
0: it's a kind of depressive realism. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The, but and uh, does it offer at least a beauty to it or something nice about it or is it just depressing realism? I think, I mean, I think the writing itself has this terse beauty
0: to it. It's very sharp, like harsh, um, which I think is beautiful, but it's not an optimistic book. Right. That's and I, mean. I don't yeah, think yeah. any of these books are optimistic.
1: <laughs> it's not, yeah. It's not like being like, this is bad, but you know, there's still beautiful moments. Like, nah, this is just...
0: There are still beautiful moments, but like Holbeck would have some sort of aphorism about how they only exist in a way to make the, like as a final joke, to make the impending fall <laughs> more devastating. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's sounding real depressing. It's very
0: depressing. Yeah, right?
1: yeah. I was having. What is your over... favorite? Well,
0: favorite is a very loaded yeah, term, yeah, yeah. you know. Okay. Like, and I wanted to pick a book that maybe hasn't been discussed on your podcast as well.
1: Yeah, no, that's not. Yeah. Right. So you mentioned that he does like the cruel kind of comedy stuff in there, and it's interesting because I would say your stuff when you do comedy, which people can go check out. You got stuff online, right? Mm-hmm. People can go check out. That's fun. You kind of got an element of that dark. I wouldn't say cruel isn't mean to any one group, but it's playing on that dark style of humor as well.
0: Yeah, I think I, um, I do definitely do dark comedy. I don't... It's something, you know, I think you, I feel conflicted about because I, I don't like to be cruel. I, I'm glad you said I don't, like, do cruel to any one group. I, I, I never want to be mean to people. And I don't even think particularly I would want to do the kind of comedy that I do if I could choose. Do you know what I mean? Like I really because I don't like I think my least favourite kind of comedy is that kind of shock, edgy young man sort of thing. But I happen to keep writing and maybe my personality is that sort of dark thing that could be lumped into that category.
1: Okay. So you you even though you would actually prefer to maybe do something else.
0: Not not maybe not
1: not prefer. I think
0: (sighs) I like watching like silly stuff. I like really silly comedy as well. Like just fun, like real silly, naughty, cheeky kind of thing. Mm. But who playful playful. Like, but I think who I am is, is a is a mix of both, but probably I am a I do find dark things funny and it's I think it's a way of coping. You coping. know, with that yeah, I think, you know, like comedy is a coping mechanism as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Coping with those thoughts, with those um feelings is through comedy and through talking about the subjects that I talk about.
1: Right. So is that like almost you sit there? Like, I don't know when you, if when you started comedy, maybe even this is how far back we got to go for this, but you had like thoughts where you're like you're always thinking fucked up shit, but then you started thinking oh, but it's kind of funny when you put it like this, or maybe you just said it to people and they laughed and you were like oh. yeah,
0: I think it was like it was like I had um maybe unwanted thoughts and it's like but it's funny if you look at it at this angle, it's just a, just a twist in perspective,
1: and then you can make something that you find uncomfortable funny. So you would actually be doing it to yourself, yeah. And then, like, obviously, then repeat it to other people, and they would laugh about that stuff as well.
0: And so, yeah, that's sort of what I wanted to do when I started doing comedy—just talk, talk about those kinds of things. And I think I don't want to like disavow what I do. I think what I meant earlier is that a lot of the kind of comedy that I could be similar to is like—it feels like they're in control of. I don't know. I don't want to say how they feel internally, but it's presented like I'm this edgy guy that knows everything. Like I'm an edgelord sort of, oh, get ready to be
1: shocked, everyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like we're gonna need lots of trigger warnings in this <laughs> show. Like that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah,
0: that sort of thing where I'm like I feel like I feel a bit more like bloody hell, wish I wasn't thinking this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, which is funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, ah, uh, this is sort of that petit maxim of taking um, a thought to its logical horrific conclusion. I think that's what my comedy is is like this and if you just keep following it down the, this road you create this monster. Yeah. Wish I didn't think that, but <laughs> <laughs> that's how I see what I do. So it's a it's similar but different. and I'm I'm not like the other shock edge lords out there. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm apologetic. Yeah. I'm a, yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not like other girls. That's basically what I just did in that five-minute ramble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not like other edge lords.
1: Well, it's good it's just, you're saying that. Like, you can even still take that position. You're saying with confidence. Like, it's you're not like actually sorry that you're a, uh, like you're not ashamed of that. You're more like sorry, but this is who I am, and like you know, yes, I'm going to present yeah. this, but I'm not going to be like pretending not that I don't think this stuff. Yeah, whatever. exactly. I'm not apologetic for, who, but. I'm not also like,
0: this makes me a superior figure for having thought like, you're not ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> prepared to have your minds blown, which I feel is a disingenuous uh, attitude anyway because most sort of shocking things, is a lot of people think mm. those kind of thoughts and have those feelings, then it's not... I don't even think a lot of it's shocking. You know what I mean? Like compared to the internet. <laughs> compared you know, yeah, to yeah. being like a shock stand-up comedian, is like, uh, it's
1: like, that's not... Yeah, it's not shocking. I think, especially like uh, once you've been doing comedy while, um, and you see both good and bad versions of it. But you start seeing like I've seen. I remember uh, even in Edinburgh seeing like dark comedy nights, and they're actually they're good, yep. but they were so dark that it's like, well, now I've, I've almost seen as dark as you can go with any sort of stuff, and it's kind of like, yeah, it's now what kind of,
0: yeah, like it's like any device, you know, like if you take it you can only play with certain things for so long before it's pattern recognition comedy is that to an certain extent like people do enjoy like the um familiarity of jokes like the same kind of jokes over and over again that can be fun for people but like i'd say repetition has been an interesting case study like in the last let's say 10 years repetition came into vogue in the alternative comedy scene with people like Stuart Lee and I was like oh this guy's just repeating stuff (laughs) he's being deliberately boring and provocative but now if I see someone doing using repetition I'm like I've just I just know what I've just seen it so many times. It's it's uh, yeah, it's no yeah. longer interesting or novel. The novelty's worn off. And the same with content as well. If you keep pushing something dark for so long and you don't give
1: any light or any shade, it's just like, what is- Actually, that probably goes back to your earlier thing where you're saying, you're not actually being you. You're just following some sort of script thing. So, it's actually not really reflective of, like, I guess, an expression of yourself. You're just putting on these tricks that you've seen other people do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because if anyone doesn't know, repetition is literally just repetition—just saying the same thing <laughs> over and over and over again—and it is fucking hilarious when you see like the guys do it back then. But yeah, I know what you mean now. It's just like that's been done now. So it's like, and
0: I also even there's still someone will have like a great joke, like a repetition joke. Now it'll be great, hmm. but it just like the 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 weight of numbers means that it's di- it's diluted how many great repetition jokes there are. You yeah. know what I mean? And I didn't mean that just, just for repetition. I just meant it as like a case study. of. Like, oh, yeah. No, no. I, was, I, I don't want to be like, 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 if anyone's repeating themselves on stage, I'm fucking coming for you.
1: <laughs> you heard it <laughs> here. You heard it here, guys. And
0: I won't repeat myself. <laughs> One warning.
1: <laughs> I feel like you're going to have to repeat yourself at some point. The rest of this... <laughs> you can't help it. It's hilarious. It's always funny.
0: Just so you know, I'm I'm coming for you if you repeat yourself on stage. I'm coming. Don't... I will get you. <laughs> Oh, I hate repetition. I hate it. I don't like repetition. I feel like I'm doing a little. I am doing a little bit for your audience that I hate repetition, but I, know, I do I hate feel it. Like I forced
1: you to do that. Though. Uh, yeah. oh, that uh, I feel. I feel bad. <laughs> I feel dirty. It's all right. But okay. So to go back to Mr. Wal Holbeck, Walbeck, I'm never going to get this right. I feel so,
0: you know, embarrassed about my inability p- to pronounce French names, but Walbeck. Walbeck, Walbeck
1: I yeah. think. Um, yeah. So it's it, so it's got the two. So I actually want to look at. Was well, a few things I want to ask about it. Yeah. Uh, one is actually because this might relate to a recent topic I've noticed uh, when you're talking about the author being in the text. Mm-hmm. So you you you're not saying that one of are you saying that one of those two characters is a clear, distinct stand-in? Uh, yes. Uh, with with with, with Warbeck, yes, yeah. definitely. Um. There's a he
0: definitely auto plagiarizes a lot from his own life to an almost embarrassing degree. Like his mother came out, he does not present his mother in a favorable light in this novel. And she came out and wrote a book after afterwards in France, um basically repudiating everything he said and saying if shit he ever writes about her again he's gonna she's gonna beat him up with her walking stick. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> 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 like yeah, there's a lot. What of, a threat! I'm going to beat you up with yeah. my walking stick. Yeah, <laughs> like, she sounds a, like
0: an awesome woman, to be honest. But I think an interesting thing about like the authorials, st- maybe I'm getting away from the authorial standing, but it it is almost I think interesting. A in while back, you can see the rise of like the incel. Do you know what I mean? Because he talks about it's this failure of the sexual revolution, which turns sex into another commodity in the marketplace. So it's great if you're attractive, you can ha- have sex with lots of different people. Although ultimately your body will age, and then you're going to come for a big rude awakening when you if no that's longer. that's your only way of getting value, getting yeah, value yeah. or experiencing like a, a dopamine serotonin rush, but then there's people who are excluded from the sexual marketplace, whether it's because of their um, personality or disfigurement, who are trapped in these isolated and lonely lives, and then still have some sort of like Schopenhauer esque will. This 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 libid, libidinal desire doesn't go away until later age but it's completely um you know unsatisfying for them and you i think you can definitely see that in the west this these rise of young men who are not just excluded from uh the the economic sphere but are increasingly excluded from the sexual sphere of life as well
1: because all right so yeah let's talk about that then because like i uh i was understanding i was about to argue and say well wouldn't you say they've always been around those kind of people for thousands of years whatever but you're saying maybe it's it's because now they no longer have the ability to have even economic grounds let's say to pursue sexual success I think that's He's what this, saying?
0: What's he saying
1: um I think that's
0: a great point too I, I heard you talk in your Alice Fraser podcast like you can easily take a historical positions right and just say that the problems now are new problems and have never existed previously like I think on Alice's podcast she was going she was talking about like the agora like the forum. It's like, well, who's got to speak at in the forum? Just the Greek men, not the slaves. It's a slave economy; they weren't allowed to speak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so what is free speech? You know what I mean? If you want to use that as an example, like historically, it's, that's an incredibly limited example, right?
1: Yeah, or like uh, in terms of yeah, you been trying to like pick now is different, yeah, or uniquely thing. That's why I'm always wondering, and that's why I was wondering if. But he, I think Walbeck he, talks about that or mentions that or somehow references that. Like, yeah, what makes, what makes now so. What makes now different, I think, I think it's an economic change going
0: from an industrial society to a post-industrial service economy. So I think during an industrial society, you did need the working class to reproduce itself. So you had the ideas of like love and marriage in order to create more workers to fill the factories. But in the West, like the birth rate is declining and reproduction only happens through essentially importing workers from the third world and exporting jobs. To the third world, like there's no longer a need for capital to maybe I don't know if Warwick would use these terms, but a need for capital to reproduce um labor, so people are just kind of adri- adrift. And I do think you see that an in increasing alienation of people. It's incre- like I think it's more and more common for people to live by themselves or in share houses with people they don't know, rather than maybe in the past. You're right. Maybe not everyone got married, but you would have lived in extended families. Which has its its own problems as well. You don't want to romanticize what it was like to be a spinster say, or yeah, yeah. Or,
1: <laughs> or an unmarried uncle. That's, as, I was lo- gonna say, as someone who's had to just move back in with his parents for a little bit during this time, uh yeah, you people can romanticize the family element.
0: But you know, I think it's increasingly common you've got men approaching forty who live in share houses now across the west who no one knows who they are and no one would care if they died.
1: <laughs> this is a dark like prognosis of this society because like even it's interesting there because those aren't really the incels though are they not necessarily, not all of them are t- like inc I think incels yeah. the
0: extreme version of that phenomenon where you have like people like Elliot Rogers murdering predominantly women because because they feel like they're excluded from the sexual marketplace mm.
1: but and that, but i guess what i mean there's like that's more when you talk about this sexual uh frustration that's obviously a more a young man's game than like you mentioned, as you get a bit older, that kind of goes away as a physical need. a little bit, but I think you can see uh,
0: that blossoming in late in middle age People are like what do you think a midlife crisis is? It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, scared, it's about the fear of death, but it's also about the fear that you're now no longer desirable. That's why you see men getting like motorbikes and, or getting plastic surgery or now they're doing a marathon trying to reclaim that youth which isn't just about death it's also about being a sexually or leaving their partners leaving their abandoning their families hooking up with like a 20 year old woman
1: i've never i've never thought about middle-aged crises that way that's interesting like i'm not that's yeah thank you that's uh never thought about that side of it like you know recapturing youth yeah because you're scared of death but also just for the fact that you were attractive that you were you were yeah you, you're losing that element of your social status that you've lost that you are trying to reclaim, even though it's not there anymore. Yeah, and I, I, I want to like uh, lionize Holbeck
0: as if like the patriarchy was this some sort of like great form for most people. I don't think it was, but I think he, I think sometimes uh, conservatives can identify symptoms, even if they can't identify causes.
1: Yeah. And I think that's actually probably where the disconnect can happen. Yeah. Because they, they realize that they're... The Something's system...
0: wrong. Why are so many people upset and lonely and angry and feel excluded? Maybe it isn't just a tr- return to traditional values is what's going to, like, fix the problem. But there is something... I think there is something wrong. And then people are upset and unhappy. Yeah. And I think that's an increasingly common way to feel.
1: No, I think, uh, like... It's interesting when you say that because, like... Uh, the, I've read it somewhere as well. It's like it's funny because a lot of conservatives and stuff would talk about the, the atomization of society and how that's really bad and the loss of traditional values. But then in the same breath, they'll defend to the death anything to do with capitalism's fantasticness. And yet those two things are utterly mutually exclusive because yeah. capitalism is the cause of the loss of family values.
0: Yeah. Capitalism,
1: you can go back to Marx. He,
0: it's like one of the opening lines of the Communist Manifesto. Like, uh, was it all that is sacred... I'm, I'm butchering the quote, but it becomes profane. You know what I mean? All the sacred turns to dust. and that uh, You mean uh, capitalism? Capitalism, yeah. He says it it it, it, destro- it tears apart relationships because if you're a young man, you no longer have to follow your father into the same guild or into, on, work the same field as him. You're no longer economically dependent on the family unit to survive. You can just go out and get another job. In the same way, like... Pe- Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Not necessarily... A, again, not necessarily a bad thing, but... Those relationships between families are no longer primarily, or intergenerational family, necessarily intergenerational, necessarily the primary economic unit. So you're splintered. Like I live across the country from my family, hmm. and you know I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But in different <laughs> yeah. times, I, I wouldn't have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would have all lived together on the same farm for you know for,
1: for years, just gro- <laughs> sleeping together, eating together, yeah. going to work together. You yeah, see, that's where I don't. That <laughs> doesn't sound like the most ideal thing either. But
0: like, I mean, I think it also comes down to this like sort of dual nature of, I mean, I'm just talking a lot of shit. That's but right. like, you're, you're, it's what you think. The dual nature of like humanity in which we we want to be individuals, but we also desperately need to feel connected. Mm. You know, that sort of Nietzschean, and Holbeck borrows a lot from like Nietzschean Schopenhauer. I think in what he calls it like a bastardized Nietzschean. In if the, the stand-in authorial character calls his own philosophy that. Oh, really? Okay. But also from, like, Comte and, like, a lot of sort of 19th century um, theorists, like, he's interested in. But, the, you know, that need to feel connected, like, that Dionysian and Napoleon, that the, the intellect and, like, the, dis, the dis, you want to feel close to people, but you also reject that at the same time. So, like, community has that ability to, like, make you feel really close, but you can be suffocated. Whereas, you know, if you live in an alienated society like us, you can be yourself – to an extent, you can express how you are, but you feel alone. So, I, like, I don't want to be like, oh, I, I'm an alienated individual. I definitely wouldn't want to go to act to some sort of quote unquote organic community. I'd hate it.
1: Yeah, yeah. but you're seeing how like <laughs> you've go both, too far one way. It, both can, can provide different challenges. Yeah, but, yeah, and 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 the issue is like that both are probably not great. So you want to find some sort of middle ground where, yeah, there's that dialectic process, right? Yeah, one, yeah. I would think the one of the problems is. Um, you almost you do need almost society to force you maybe to do something that you don't think you want to do, but you actually do want to do. So I can I think relationships can sometimes fall into that category where like you almost need to be forced to be like, oh, no, actually I like hanging out with these people, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that's
0: what family can provide because it's very easy to just drop friends if you have one disagreement. You can just be like, well, I'm never speaking to that person again. <laughs> have you ever done that? We have to be one hell of a disagreement. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? People fall fall apart, mm. drift drift apart. Well, I think that family bond can be something that is like, even if you don't like them, you love them, and you still can have them. But again, not for everyone. Families can also be sites of horrific uh, trauma and turmoil that relationship can be abused. I don't think there's easy answers to any of this. Oh, I man, think, really? Yeah, I don't know. But Come on! Like, I just think Holbeck is an uh, it's an interesting and powerful writer, even if I don't agree with what he says.
1: Ah, oh, so you don't actually feel like you agree with, oh, like, as in, you don't agree with the fundamental uh, despair of it, but you do agree with some of the. I agree to some agree with the symptoms, not the cause, maybe, yeah, and also like the symptoms, not the conclusion.
0: Holbeck's universe is very—it's friendless as well. If you ever read his novel. his characters never have any friends. They almost don't know how to. Really, none of them have friends. They have no friends. They don't know how to make friends. Really, friendship—they don't really understand. Like, they're all—they're all men, but they don't understand how to. There's no male bonding that is able to occur They're these completely sex is their only outlet to provide some sort of meaning or the idea of love and connection and even that uh, is very, you know obviously he thinks is incredibly like a uh, problematic toxic decays over time you'll be like you become disgusting you're no longer able to have the relationships that you'd like to have um that sort of teenage idea that you'll be happy if you get to have sex with who you want to have sex with
1: here's a cool fact
0: that kind of depressive realism isn't entirely true because there's heaps of great things about life. There's friendship, you know, there's other sources of, of pleasure and enjoyment. There's no solidarity in his novels.
1: Yeah, but even like, don't get me wrong, sex is great, but like, you know, there's a, there's all sensory experiences which are enjoyable beyond just sex, obviously. Yeah. Um, and especially, let's say, there are certain periods of life where it's extreme your desire for and pleasure from, let's mm-hmm. say. But, I mean, other times, yeah. You know, it's like I think that's an interesting almost. A thing about Holbeck,
0: which maybe is... Holbeck, which isn't talked about enough, is maybe to a degree he would see other f- forms of life as like displacement activities. You know, like like a chicken who isn't being fed. You know, if they peck on the ground. They'll keep pecking, like as it d- displaces their hunger. It's like you know, writing a novel. Maybe that's a displacement activity for <laughs> a loser. <laughs> but th- I think things people don't talk about in Holbeck is he's incredibly good at, especially in his later novels, describing the sort of pleasures of bourgeois consumption. Mm. like what it's like to have different brands of hummus to choose from and how they're all different and nice and what it's like to have like a a chocolate on the pillow at your hotel room and soft sheets and that that and also
1: that's, that's exactly what I mean that's, that's this
0: intellectual pursuit in life where you can feel great stimulation from like really engaging with a topic whether it be molecular biology for one of his characters or um you know mathematics or you know engage,
1: engaging in literature well, that like exactly that's why. So he actually goes into that because that almost goes against his theory of this sex being this overriding all or nothing like reason for sadness as he loses it as he get older.
0: Yeah, I think as he it does sort of it does. I think if you see as he's aged, I think he's now in his sixties. as has changed a bit, a bit in his writing, but uh, I still think that is the primary. If you will, because so, sex for him is also so lined up with status, your status within the. You're in within this sexualized marketplace. Are you able to?
1: But that sounds like such a like. It's true, but it's also it's true. But that kind of attitude, yeah. Yeah. Because it's very narrow.
0: (laughs) If you set up any narrow parameters, it's like you can take this to this horrifying. You create these horrifying worlds, which it's engaging to to read, but obviously it's not true. True, like if you look at your life, it's not how anyone. That's it's not right. how you
1: would like to live, well, and, but it's also it just seems like it's it's in, it's willfully ignoring probably elements which like uh, which are true like which are part of life. So you're almost like, yeah, you can build this dystopian tragic view of misanthropic view of humanity, yep. but it's actually like you're choosing to ignore all the parts which might not work yeah, of into course, that worldview.
0: If you if you look at it from that pure extreme of like even literature is a displacement activity, then why write these depressing realist novels? I mean, you could argue it's just like. Like, if you think that life is unsatisfactory, but you don't commit suicide because you have that that sort of open that will, you know, the will is stronger, the will to life is stronger than even your uh, dissatisfaction with it. Yeah. But I don't, I think that's not necessarily true. And it, what do you mean? Or that like that he enjoys writing the novels. That's why he writes them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think especially intellectual pursuits. I would say are the best example actually of like yeah, like it's great because you learn new things, your mind expands, you have a whole new way of seeing the world or even just engaging with the world, Mm -hmm. which is more complex. And I'm still not discrediting how great, again, sex, fantastic. (laughs) No one's saying it's bad, but like there are other elements which you could actually understand, even though maybe you would, on an animal level, always choose the one thing. Most we're not animals. So we would actually choose a more enjoyable life, would actually involve more the intellectual side with still elements of the... Of course. And
0: I think... uh isn't that part of the power of art? And maybe one of its purposes of, of the novel is to make you feel connected with someone. I think no, novels, maybe more so than any other medium, you really feel like you're inside someone's thoughts. You really feel like you're with another person, and then the novels can bridge that gap between you and me. With you can read a novel and feel closer to the people under that to, to people you've known all your life because they're telling you things like you're experiencing things that you'd never be able to experience or no one else will open up, be as open with you about. Yeah, like the thoughts of the characters. Like the thoughts of the characters. And, and characters. even if these, it's these depressive realist thoughts, these thoughts that aren't necessarily true, It's, it's you feel close to them. It's like this, it, There's a vulnerability in it. I guess it's so popular because it, it, it has resonated to a degree with lots of people, these feelings.
1: So I was about to say there is like a almost like Hollywood – ironic screenplay to it the guy who writes books about the loneliness of society and how no one relates to anyone gets related to by millions <laughs> of people around the world yeah like that yeah, seems like i think there's a funny story about
0: him i'm gonna butcher this and i don't know all the facts but uh i think someone made a documentary or a film about it in the 2010s at some point people suspected that he died because but what happened is that he just internet just went out for a couple of days no one had been in
1: contact with him. They're just like, oh, he's dead. <laughs> he's just at home. <laughs> but the fact that even that is so quick, everyone's like talking yeah. about ever. It's a, it's a story that people talk about. Like, that's what's interesting. Because yeah. like, uh, you, we, mentioned, we start on that. And I guess with this is kind of relates to all of this. So for, we spoke about how he puts himself in as a character in the book very clearly. Like, his mum's this and he does this, whatever. Yep. But then there's also you relating to the author who's writing the story because of... How he's written it and, like... Yeah, well, they're they're
0: very blatantly, like, philosophical novels. Like, a lot of the characters don't have a huge amount of depth. They really exist to assert certain points. You know what I mean? Like, more so than other than the novelist, he's very present in the text, even beyond this authorial stand-in character. And he literally is a character in one of them. Like, he gets... (laughs) One of the novels is about um, a painter who paints... One of his projects, is he paints, he wants to paint every occupation within society, and he paints the novelist, Michelle Holbeck. He does a portrait of him. Hilarious. Yeah, so, he, so, he just snuck himself in, he's, right? Yeah.
1: Did he describe himself positively? <laughs> I think positively. calls himself like a shrunken
0: little turtle. A <laughs> <Nice. laughs> misanthrope. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He does look like a bit like a goblin. You know oh, really? It's like a little shrunken, you know. So, I guess- I that Howard Hughes look, you know, like the long-
1: Oh, the long nail, like, yeah. I don't yeah, think like, he actually has long nails, but he looks like it. That you know, sort of thing, yeah, yeah. Very thin. Okay, yeah. Um, in terms of him, the author, because so, mm-hmm. I don't know much about I don't know much about him as a person. So, you seem to know more about him as well because you've read his other books and stuff. So, does he believe this stuff? Does he have an incels attitude? I guess in some ways, like when he was I younger, th- at least.
0: Uh, I think so. Yeah, yes. I would
1: believe. I don't think he's.
0: It's like not in bad faith that yeah. he writes these books. Again, I'm not an expert on him and his life, but I believe yeah, this is how he feels. I guess his first novel, uh, whatever, which I haven't read, it's one of the few I haven't read, is apparently very much like he literally he had that job. There's people in it; he didn't change their names. That's he's just annoyed with them, just saying, you know. And then Atomized was the second book that made him
1: famous. This is interesting because there's a debate going on right now. I don't know if you've see this stuff. Uh, it's a discussion of like the author versus the text. Mm-hmm. And like how that how that should be treated in cases. Now this probably is the mo- most obviously extreme case where like there is no difference because the author is the text in a way. So even if he did something bad, or it sounds like he has done <laughs> done stuff bad, you, the text very much reflects that in a way. So it should impact the way you almost view the text. You I think so. Me? Yeah. I
0: mean, I understand that that sort of debate that you're talking about the like Bart, right? Yeah. Author versus the text. Barth. How do you say his name? Uh, Roland Barth
1: another French oh uh, is that another French yeah so I'm thinking more I'm thinking more like just the full modern issues going on right now which is like J.K. Rowling um, do I don't it? think you have
0: to agree with like someone even to like their work where they're saying things you don't agree with
1: well that's a, well, I guess that's what I mean like does it impact if they're saying stuff okay see, that's interesting actually so you're saying that even if you don't like them you should still read it even though it is a reflection of them you don't have to because, st- you don't have to yeah you don't have to but it yeah. can be you, actually you, you can if you want If you
0: you can like things That you disagree with. You know what I mean? You can like, you think that the sentence structure is beautiful. You think the ideas are powerful, like powerful in terms of like, maybe they're symptomatic. You think it's interesting. Like you can think a work is, you can even think a work is bad, like boring, but you think it's interesting as a cultural
1: product. Like what does that say about the society that produces it? Yeah, it's true actually. Yeah. So you can, you can like, if they disagree with it, you can actually find it powerful and well-written and engaging and reflective of a certain aspect of society, even though you don't disagree with, you don't fundamentally agree with it. Yeah, so I think so.
0: I think you can have complicated and nuanced relationships with work, works of art. Mm. You don't. And by the same token, you are definitely not obliged to do anything with like things that you don't like, Who
1: you know? Yeah. yeah. You don't have to. You don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to engage with it.
0: <laughs> if JK Rowling saying things you don't like now, you don't have to read her books anymore. Mm. Like, yeah, that's fine. I wouldn't, Yeah, I don't agree with what she's saying. No. no. Actually, I'm I'm also not going to read Harry Potter because I'm not a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I read it when I was a kid. I don't need to keep reading it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess I... I, uh, But if I wanted to, I could still. Yeah, without it being like... It doesn't mean you're for or against... Well, it doesn't mean you're (laughs) for something that the author's saying just because you're reading a book of theirs. Although, I guess, again, like you're saying, I think some books maybe would reflect that more. But you're saying even in that case, even if it is... Because I can say Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling are actually quite... You can easily separate. It's like she's putting in lots of her own thoughts into the books. I mean, I can th- overtly.
0: I think she does put a lot of her thoughts into those books. I think the whole thing is kind of like a. She's a Christian. It's mm. a. It's a Christian parable about the idea of friendship and interconnection and
1: sacrifice. Yeah. Ultimately, I mean, it's got. To, whenever someone dies and comes Harry Potter, back, it's always, yeah, he's a, he's, it's always Jesus.
0: But he, it, I think she literally says that. It kind of is. It's like a fucking Narnia shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Aslan, you know? He is a bit of a Christ figure. He sacrificed. it Not only does he sacrifice himself, but the maternal, his mother, and it's that bond of love and sacrifice that creates community and overcomes death. Mm. And death isn't to be feared. It, it's the overcoming it through, like, um, relational love, you know? I think that's what she's saying in her books, and that comes from a particular worldview. But you can what people like about Harry Potter, I think, isn't the magic. It's, it's a hangout book. People like the connection between the friends, friends enjoying each other's company, and that dynamic. Mm. Yeah, oh, and that's why I like, which you can enjoy without even liking <laughs> the Christian metaphor, the overt Christian metaphors. That's
1: kind of what I would say. Um, yeah, like because oh, oh, like oh, okay, so two things I would say first: yes, like the friends and hanging out, and the and the and the fun of it, and the yeah. the, the, the it's an adventure. Itself. Yeah, the adventureness of it, um, and then also, I guess I've. Have you? Uh, have you? Heard Joseph Campbell Hero with a thousand phases or I, any I, I haven't. No. So he, like he's the one, he kind of like I don't know, maybe Nietzsche does it as well. He talks about how like myths. He's the one. So Joseph Campbell's yeah, the guy that wrote the whole yeah. Hero's journey and like the Monomyth. Mm-hmm. All stories are the same basically. Yeah, that whole idea. To, oh, that's a huge simplification. Uh, yeah, he, he defends it quite well in his book of a billion examples of what he's talking about. And an inspired Rick and Morty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amongst other things. This is yeah. like a real pro-incel <laughs>
0: podcast, I just realized. And Star Wars. Star Wars another monomyth based on Joseph Campbell, isn't it? Explicitly?
1: Yeah, explicitly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, a lot of people, just the whole ghost. But, like, he gets it down to almost the basic thing, which is that any stories about change, mm-hmm. any of the good stories that really stick with Hero you. Hero goes which is out on a journey,
0: are. creates there's conflict, and then eventually ret- overcome, learns about themselves, overcomes the conflict and returns a changed yeah. person.
1: Which is basically just saying, you are something and then something happens and then you change and then you're back to where you were before, but changed. Yeah. Which is not like, that's pretty, like on bare bones, it makes sense that that would be an engaging story. He goes into a crazy depth about the whole yeah tapping into the subconscious and the unconscious dreams. Really, Carl uh, Jung gets mentioned a lot in it. Um, but I guess the reason I'm mentioning that is because you talk about like the Christian allegory that obviously she was maybe being very overt with or at least sort of overt. Like I don't think anyone writes and be like, I'm going to do a direct thing either, but it just feeds their work. I think a little bit she did. Like I think she
0: talked about, I think i remember in an interview where she's like, a lot of it came to her when she was visiting a gravi-
1: graveyards and stuff and a, like at a church because even that, I would say, isn't like someone being like, "Oh, I'm going to take this and in intentionally." They're like, "Oh, I've got a good story that comes from me hearing this." Yeah, which immediately is different. I think Do you she, get the
0: same? I don't know. I think there's a degree of like planning and structure. Like she had the, didn't she have the idea for the whole arc immediately? Like before she. Re- That's one of things she's she, 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 says, she yeah, said. Who knows? But who no, who knows? Her. Yes. Yeah. She says a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but anyway, like you said, it's people can enjoy that the books without engaging on that level at all.
1: Yeah, but I, I what I mean there is like I think there'd be like I think I read it somewhere as well about fiction in general and how uh a lot of it there are so many Christ and religious metaphors in most so many books. And some of it could be actually accidental or intentional. Mm-hmm. Whatever. But it's like maybe that happens because that story is actually because even the Christ stories technically depending on your worldview older than that and w- reflective of other stuff so it's not sure. like it starts there so the story itself is actually and this is why i'm saying joseph campbell's thing the story is what hooks us it's not the trappings of the stuff around it which mm-hmm. might be because you're a christian or whatever it's actually because that story appeals to some inner core of us that that's why it works yeah and that's why it keeps getting retold that's why people keep loving it but then of course it actually has all these other meanings and that's not to defend it or say good things for it but like that's actually the reason why that might happen in a lot of cases if you know what i mean from the christian point of view i'm talking about no i i agree i think there's um certain narratives that are very addictive
0: right which explains the popularity of like serialized television it's huge the what next Mm. and people get very angry when they feel like they don't get the resolution at the end of narratives like that, they feel like they've been entitled to by the mechanism that's been they believe has been unfolded in the you know preceding episodes yeah that's why people get very angry if the ending of a television show doesn't go how they thought it should go because exactly yeah, in their head they thought it was going to go one way and then yeah. yeah yeah and they, they they crave the the catharsis of a story being you know following that narrative and if it does if it deviates from it
1: it can be very upsetting yeah that's a it makes, I mean, it makes sense, I guess. I don't know. If you've got some sort of... I don't know. I'm not, I'm not committing to anything. No. Yep. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so, you, you liked uh, Welbeck and mm-hmm. his kind of philosophical trappings because you seemed... And I'm looking at your shelf, which is always useful when I come to the person's house because they have got the shelf, you've got the book sitting there. I love when people bring the book along because it's like they've got a connection to it. When did you first read this?
0: Um, when I was 18, yeah, 2011
1: or 10. So, and so this was your first introduction to Wellbeck? Yep. And do you reckon that's why it's your favorite of his? Of, of, yeah, I think
0: definitely the first novel you read of his because it's the one where you haven't been enge- uh, maybe particularly engaged with his ideas. Like a lot of artists, he has one idea to say, right? And so a lot of the books are just reimagining, finding new contexts to say the same thing again. So the first one you mean read would probably be the, the one that stands out for you the most. Because that's when it's new. Because new. That, that idea is new to you, so it's novel. But also, this one has... It does... Like, the plot has a lot of momentum that builds towards the conclusion. So, maybe more so than some of the others. It's one of my favourite ones. I also really like the map and the territory. I like... Submission, I think, is a great one. Serotonin. is new ones probably not my favourite, but it's a real funny bit at the end. <laughs> it didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. It's real funny. Yeah, yeah. I would have... Man, there's a bit... If I was doing it as a stand I wouldn't have been able to help myself. I would have, I would have taken. I don't. This is not very interesting for your readers, if they, listeners, if they haven't read it. I don't want to spoil the book, too. Yeah, it's but there's a bit where it's like it's just like in terms of shock comedy. There would be a bit that I just couldn't help myself if what? I was writing it.
1: You'd have to keep it in. Or? No,
0: I would take it further. No, I take he it further. pulls back a little bit. He pulls back a little bit, but I would. It's so bleak. I just have to take it even like. I'd have to take it further. Yeah, cuz he actually doesn't go all the way. You're he like, doesn't he go
1: should, all the way. He should go even darker and more twisted with whatever this direction he's yeah. gone in.
0: Yeah, I didn't see it coming and when he did it, he teased it, but he didn't go take it
1: all the way. That's funny how that relates to your actual comedy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I was reading, I laughed. So I mean, you shouldn't laugh, but I laughed. It was so funny. It's so over the top. You know what I mean? It's like yeah.
1: pantomime as well. Yeah, I remember this is this is okay, not at all. This is probably the least literary reference I'm going to make so far in this podcast. But I remember when I went and watched uh, Rambo Four, maybe mm-hmm. whatever. It's where he's in the forest. I've not Borneo. seen any of the Rambo. Sorry. Well, that's all okay. right. But it's, there's a scene in it which I went and watched with a mate. And we weren't sober and we're sitting there and there's this scene and it is the most horrific like visual graphic butchering of an entire town in Borneo like we're talking like brutal like mm-hmm. way more than you'd expect anything like this is horrifying stuff. And it goes for really long. So, about halfway through, me, we were both sitting there and we just... One of us started laughing and the other one started laughing and then we just could not stop laughing at just how over the top and graphic and extreme. But everyone else in the cinema would have been like, what is wrong with these people laughing at this moment? Yeah. Yeah. So. But I think that
0: comes back to what we were talking about earlier that laughter is a way of trying to control unpleasant emotions. You know what I mean? It's like, I think I laugh... If I go to a horror movie, instead of getting scared, you can just laugh. It's pretty common, right? Like people will laugh at, like, at quote-unquote bad horror, like mm. horror not done well or the tropes and trappings of horror. It's close to comedy because it's like you can
1: dispel the negative. A, you feel like you're in control of it by laughing. Well, see, that's almost two different things though because I would say uh... – yeah, if it's bad horror, then it's just funny because it's someone screwing it, 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 it up. That's funny. But people yeah. still do laugh at like yeah, and I do agree. I think people do laugh. You know, like the, ha, 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 like is in <laughs> yeah. like that terrified laughter, laugh. like of like ha, ha, like it's even you can have that in any situation where it's mm-hmm. like really tense. And everyone's like ha, ha, like the, the creation and breaking of tension.
0: Yeah, is, yeah, yeah, is comedy. To an, is part of comedy.
1: That's how, yeah, they're so deeply <laughs> intertwined, like, I guess. Yep. But that's what I because mean, I would have said probably the Rambo one. I was just laughing at how ridiculous because it, it got to the point of, like this is pantomime. Like this is so extreme. It's like just silly. But uh, it, it's funny though, you to go back to what you mentioned though, about uh, he's got one idea that he's done now a lot of times. So that's why the first book is the most special to you. Because yeah. again, you mentioned this at the start about comedy and how comedians are all about refining an idea, re- becoming a character True. almost, and then presenting that. Um, but- And I didn't mention this then, but I I didn't think of it, but like, I think that's true. But also some some comedians or artists in general, let's say we can probably go bigger than just comedians for this, can still be that caricature, but also evolve and look at things and always be developing and always actually be really different from each other. So you're seeing it lots of different things, even though it's still got that, yes, it's still them very much. It is developed and gone in different directions and looked at different things. Um, which maybe he doesn't fall like he. Kind I think of, he's changed, and I mean he still has one central idea. But that's people thing.
0: suck. <laughs> and yeah. No one likes each other. <laughs> life is ultimately. Um, we, well, it, life is ultimately we, we have destroyed traditional religious values. Um, we live in a material universe, which the West has. Well, the West craves rational certainty. We live. It's a triumph of the materialist universe. In the material, you're just particles. These particles will decay and then you'll die, but the ego is unable to accept that fact. And the body will will go from being a source of pleasure and joy, if you're lucky, to a source of humiliation and pain. (laughs) At first, slowly, and then increasingly rapidly as you age. Until, in our society, we believe it's rational for old people to commit suicide. Because now the body can no longer be something you can enjoy. That's his central message.
1: I mean, I don't know about... Right, like when you say old people commit suicide, that's what he believes He believe, like, are you talking about euthanasia sort of stuff, or yeah, it's like more extreme than that? Because I think you, you, I can, I, I think he believes like rational isn't, and even rational can you can. He's making that a dirty word almost. Yeah, he Cause is. Like, that's not a, but because if you if you don't see
0: value like a relational value, right, that you could still have even if you were in pain, if you if you only see it as what's the sum the optimal amount of pleasure you can get versus the amount of suffering you're in if you just see it in a, like this optimized graphic and at certain point you're in more pain than you can get pleasure
1: then he it's a ra- the rational thing to do is to take your look. but see like it's funny he's saying that because you're still doing that from the this very self-centered point of view because i would argue actually the the point of something like euthanasia for a lot of people like and again i'm not saying whatever you do you do you but like wanna, as in you don't want to be a burden is that what you You would be like, I don't want, and I don't, and there could be an ego there as well, because I don't want to look like that to the people that I care about. Mm -hmm. But that, everything, like, we're going to go down the path of everything is like, oh, selfish fundamentally. But like, that would actually, I would argue, most older people would be like, I don't want to put this pressure on the people around me and this pain on them while I'm also suffering. Like, there's no benefit to this. Yeah. There's nothing to anyone is benefiting. Well, that's,
0: I don't want to ruin the the novel, but that's literally a thought, a character that I don't want to be a burden now that I'm no longer.
1: Uh, and in the novel, has before, yeah, yeah, and I guess like it d- depends life. on the definition of burden as well. Because like I'm not saying like you're alive and oh, you're costing us money. I mean like you're physically no longer present and you're falling apart in every way yeah, and, and you're and not even you're not even there. Yeah. Then it's like well this.
0: Well, yeah. I don't, I, I'm not arguing that anyone should do it, that or anything. I'm just saying that's one of his central tenets.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, that's why I just feel like rational seems like. But that he 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 uses the word rat uh, as if people take a
0: cost-benefit analysis. So he would say that... Like, but I mean, you know,
1: everything is a cost-benefit analysis. Well, that's how we... Yeah, we, we have... Technically. Because like, yeah. you, you might not want to frame it that way,
0: but I would say like... But that's the world we... If we live in this uh, triumph of like material value, then you do do a cost-benefit analysis. But I see, I think... I, a,
1: certain, a lot of people do think that way. But I'm not even saying... It, but we all... Like, we fundamentally... Like, that's what existence is, is yeah. cost-benefit. Like, we just don't realize maybe because mm-hmm. we could put fancy language around it. But...
0: You could say if you have a, no, no, I don't think for everyone it is. I would say maybe for you and me it's a cost benefit analysis, but some people have these transcendental religious ideas where you could say that's a like economics doing cost that's, benefit, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it it isn't experience like it, it. I'd say on the level of ex- abstraction, right? It isn't experienced that way. Mm. It was just being an affront to the divinity to take your own life. Okay, and that 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 isn't felt rationally. But it's exp- experiential, right? And then people feel like they would they wouldn't do it. But I guess yeah, I, I just because I and that idea of communion, like a like almost Hegelian, where you have like the monarch say, and it's like through the the stamp of the monarch, a big other that's oversees all. Then you can actually have like a, the republic, in the same way, like people could see like God or the communion as a way of like creating we're all equal under the eyes of God, like a, a big other in the sky. That creates the possibility of communion. Holbeck would think that mater- not only does the material destroy that, it also erodes um, our potential to interact as humans, because now we're, we're just we're just particle isolated particles trying to get what we can from each other.
1: Ah, see, it's it, it just it, it's interesting to me, and I, I see what you mean. Like I, I'm, I'm interested to read it, even though I think I disagree with it, because it does sound like it ignores. Because I mean. We always were this. We might have just had different stories we told. Yeah. And even the concept of like a bigger thing watching us. And I do think there is a loss to the concept of divinity from a magical sense. The fact that we don't have... I think that is a terrible loss. But you still have this belief. People have a belief in country. People have a belief in equality. People have a belief in all this stuff, which is bigger still. Mm-hmm. That can then- Yeah, well, people put in different... Ideology hasn't necessarily
0: dissipated. Like Maybe we went through like Fukiami and end of history to a degree. You could see like nationalism especially amongst the elites i think has waned um mm. but holbeck would say that even if we always we all, it always is just a cost-benefit analysis those ideas made suffering easier and for holbeck and i think an interesting thing about his novels is even the, the, if the characters are cynical you know they uh they don't believe in like transcendental values their cynicism doesn't help them because they still fall in love and then they're still hurt and they have nothing they have nothing that prepares them for, the system didn't didn't prepare them they still f- fall for life and then when they're dashed against the rocks they got nothing to
1: hold on to they just slip
0: you yeah. know what I mean
1: I know it's interesting because I like don't almost yeah I mean what, what do you think of that because like I'm, in my head I'm like That was almost again the fact that no matter how cynical you are, you can still fall in love. You can still feel this hurt. Shows Mm -hmm. that no matter what, guess what? You're not. It's not as tragic as you think. Well, almost like I think maybe the argument
0: is true. Tragedy is when you do like if you if if the cynicism helped you. If you could just be like, I'm just a rational thought process. I'm just going to decline. I'm going to max. I'm going to optimize pleasure by minimizing pain. And at a certain point, just like that. But. You can uh, believe you can believe that you're just particles but you can never just experience yourself as just particles and what do you reckon I think that's ch- to a degree true like mm-hmm. there's levels of abstraction that you you could be like you can understand mathematically or you, you could even have like a physics of the human body I don't think it's qu- you know quite there like, where you could write out the program and like this uh, I, mean, I, I don't know, I understand quantum physics but there's chance events <laughs> or whatever so mm-hmm. maybe causality isn't quite as easy as we Newtonians believe but uh <laughs> uh, it's, it's, you know it's not like just a machine but uh you always feel you don't you can never experience yourself on a day-to-day like an ontological level like that you know what i mean so you're always
1: going to be feeling like a human who's got feelings and
0: i think what does david foster wallace say like he has this thing about you've got to believe in something and it what you believe in is going to affect how, like if you just believe in yourself you're ultimately going to be like robbed you know what I mean? You got, your your body is going to decay. You're not permanent. Like a Kantian, like what's the good for Kant? Kant would say the good has to be eternal. It can't just be contingent and based on chance. So the good can't just be in that wholeback's universe. It can't just be the body. It can't just be the material because the body can only be good if you get a good, healthy body who's desirable for others. It's it's a chance. It's just chance. What if you're you've got terminal cancer? What if you're sick? What if you're unattractive? It has to be it has to be what good. Funny three things to
1: put together. <laughs> has to be good for all time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, but David Foster Wallace, which I'm bringing him up, he, he would say yeah, it's like we're taught as children: you have to believe in each other, you have to believe in community and helping people. And if you believe outside of yourself, you know that's going to provide is going to give you some comfort, which something Holbeck isn't isn't able to achieve. He's unable to take that step, Cause that, that like, relational step to friendship. Yeah, yeah, and that doesn't exist in his world.
1: So what? do you, So obviously, it sounds like you believe in this concept of like, yeah, you got to put, you do have to believe in something. Yeah, you do. So what do you believe in? I, I mean the uh, the riff the laughs. laughs no but you know just
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do think you have to try and get on with other people and try and ease the, we've all got to and it's very easy to say that in like a hippie slapdash way because there's you have to look at the structures of like society and capitalism but you do have to I think solidarity and believing in something big in yourself whether that's the community or whether it's an intellectual pursuit is the so only way like outside of yourself if you so what's yours I guess in that, uh, comedy I guess yeah yeah In the pursuit of it to be something which can be like a Sisyphus, like a task, you know, like when Sisyphus, like in Camus, like you got to roll the rock up the hill, but keeps rolling back down, keeps rolling back down. But you just got to start enjoying rolling the rock up the hill. That's yeah, that's all you're doing. That's all you're doing. You got to do it, so you can only change your perspective. Yeah, it's that like again, the dialectic, it's like. You've got to roll up the roll the rock up the hill. The roll falls down the hill. Enjoy enjoy the process. Yeah, yeah. And then, only change. It's only a change in perspective at the end that you can control.
1: And it's funny you say that. And it's almost I like can tie this in a way. But like you mentioned from the start, how you just you are you, and you're doing let's say the humor that you're doing. Like to tie it back again, and this ties to anyone doing any artistic pursuit or anything, I guess. But like, yeah, you got to do what you are, and that's kind of what you're believing in, almost. And then and then you just got to enjoy that being you to the best that you can be even yeah. though maybe it's not what you enjoy in other ways i don't know that's a weird contrast there you are you
0: then you say you want to you want to improve yourself maybe i mean what is the essence of it? again but i do think that maybe personality is quite fixed to a degree within people behavior can change but like maybe personality is relatively stable throughout life i don't
1: know I, I, okay let's put that forward as a keep, hypothesis you keep chucking out these I don't know's after big Please. bold statements yeah, well, I think you kind of believe uh, no because I agree I, I actually probably agree more than I should with that statement I definitely think personality is way more fixed but behavior is you can more you can ch-
0: change your behavior but you maybe have certain drives and certain maybe you're a more relatively shy person you're going to be probably maybe you can learn to be you know more engaging but you will always probably feel a little bit hmm. but then you just change your perspective on no I enjoy being who I am like, like, so maybe the philosopher G Jack enjoy your symptoms. You're going to have the symptoms. You're going to be this personality. Then you can only choose to enjoy it.
1: Yeah, and but then it's I <laughs> guess the the, the the toss up between enjoying it too much. Where yeah, abrasively. we can lean into like a
0: Joker-esque figure, right? Like being, but then yeah, within the bounds of like you do have relations with other people, right? You have to take them into consideration
1: as well. No, yeah. but you shouldn't apologize for. Who you are who are right, yeah well yeah yeah not you can apologize for what you're doing maybe sometimes but not for what, who you are yeah exactly
0: yeah you can apologize if your behavior affects others but you can't be like I'm just being if you're if you're just expressing yourself like maybe expressing yourself like shouting or hurting someone is bad but just being you isn't something you need to stop
1: doing yeah, yeah. <laughs> true that oh well it's matt we've gone quite well so I'm going to, to probably tie it off think, there right. uh, it's been a lot of fun having you on I always ask this did you feel like you've learned anything new from your relationship with Holbeck or Welbeck and atomized I think so
0: because I think I feel a lot of um, I think these no, I don't want to about sex a lot and but sex it's, it's the body as well sex and eros the, and Thanos, the destruction they're about death anxiety as well I think I've I feel that a lot Mm. And when you real read Holbeck, you can you can like it could build up that sort of frustration and pain like you know you, you, i feel like the mind the minds very powerful where i don't know if people people can do this i don't know if other animals can where it's like you can skip to the moment of your non existence and you can feel the anxiety of non existence you can skip right to the end like you can almost time travel I feel like you can do like you can you can go through your life, you can see it play out to the moment to, to nothingness and you can feel that horror and you felt hu- I I can which I I felt before I read holbeck like as a child I felt all my life and that holbeck can crystallize that feeling but then you I think reading things like holbeck you can go beyond it you can realize you have got to push you know sometimes maybe maybe an interesting thing that i uh, summarizes what we've been talking about is if you want to fix your problems or you you want to have a different perspective or outlook first you have to identify them and maybe holbeck can help you identify Something that you're struggling with, and has for me.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. That's a, yeah. Okay. Cool. So you so need a diagnosis before you can get before you can actually move past it. Yeah. So yeah, you, you you put into words the thoughts, or some of the thoughts, you had, yeah, some of, and then but by doing that, you actually may be able to move past them. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. So that's almost like a that's a reason to promote this sort of stuff, I guess, in a weird way to help people understand that concept with themselves. And it might not be whole. It might be whatever author, mm. and that's the again the the
0: idea of the the that literature helps you feel less alone. Because you, someone else is feeling like millions of people across the world like these books, or f- in some way it resonates with them, and then from
1: there you can take you can take another
0: step, you know.
1: I and, think, man, this book sounds hugely formative to you in a yeah. in a way to help you put that. So yeah, thanks a lot for. Thanks for having me on. No, no stress. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I love, yeah. I don't know. What, I'd uh, recommend reading it. I think it's a. Um really really interesting book. No, yeah, I, I do and I feel like this is probably one of the more personally effective books I've from a guest I've had on. So thank you for no, being open welcome. about thank that you. stuff as well. Cheers. Cheers.